Our text this evening will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. That's Luke 8, 22 through 25. And now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? The question tonight is how do we survive life storms? We know a, a forecaster or maybe a, a meteorologist, they, uh, they track hurricanes. When they spot a hurricane, At that point, they try to track it to see where it will land or where it will hit. The people that are, that might be affected by that hurricane also go on high alert. Often you will take certain measures to protect your property against a hurricane. We know that a severe weather storm creates strong winds, they create heavy rain, and they often do damage to infrastructure. Probably maybe 20 years ago, I had went on a uh, deep sea tuna fishing trip. We found ourselves in a It wasn't a big storm, but it was definitely a storm. This wasn't a little boat. It was a pretty big boat. It was probably 60 to 70 feet long. But when you're in the ocean, that doesn't seem like a very big boat. As we were fishing for tuna, I remember seeing a wave coming right at us. I still remember I I held onto the fishing pole with one hand, and I grabbed onto a rail with my other hand as that wave went over the top of the boat. Later, the captain had told us that was the closest he had ever come of tipping his boat over. And he had been a captain for probably for, for 30 years. It's just that the wave did not come straight onto the boat. It came over the side of the boat. You know, that is a weather storm, but you know, we also have in our life spiritual storms. You know, storms, they come in many, many different forms. Sometimes a storm may look like a loss. You might lose a a loved one, a family member, a co-worker, but a loss. Sickness can also be a storm. Heartache can also be a form of a storm spiritually. 
maybe heartache with friends, heartache with maybe within your family, maybe heartache at work. You know, you can even have heartache at church. You know, uh, often I will hear people say they they come to church because it's like a refuge. I completely understand what they're saying, but I also realize that we have an adversary and he too likes to come to church. And he loves to divide the brothers and the sisters and he loves to cause trouble. But the reality of it, sometimes we are on the mountaintops and sometimes we will be in the valleys. But I think what we need to do as Christians, we need to learn to fight. What I mean fight is not give in to Satan. We know that he is a roaring lion and he loves seeking to those and trying to devour our spiritual life. You know, I have always loved this speech. It's a famous speech from Winston Churchill. It was the beginning of World War II. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. I think spiritually, that's how we need to be. We have an adversary. He's going to fight us day in and day out. We often hear that the world is getting worse and worse, and it is. And I do believe that even uh, persecution is going to be stronger and stronger against Christians. That just means how important us to learn to fight and to never give up and not to surrender. Mark 12, 30 And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. We must love the Lord our God with all our strength and with all our mind. And if we do that, he will give us the strength to fight. We see here that Jesus often taught his disciples to have faith. Now they find themselves in a storm and they have the opportunity to apply their faith. We read here that Jesus and the disciples get into a boat and they started to cross the Sea of Galilee. This sea is famous for sudden storms. But we also see that Jesus, you could say that he took a nap or he fell asleep. Either way, he was tired. I, I, I kind of always liked that part to think that even Jesus gets tired and exhausted at times, that even he needs to take a rest or a nap. We too, at times, spiritually, we might have to rest If we get exhausted and tired. But the mighty storm, it came upon the sea to the point where it started to fill their boat and they started to panic. They started to worry. They felt like they were in danger to the point that they felt like they were going to drown. 
At this point, we know that they made a decision to cry out for help from the Lord. You know, sometimes we have to have faith in difficult times. I believe at this situation, truly Jesus wanted them to trust that he had it all under control. You know, I I wonder how big that storm even was. Boats in those days wouldn't have been huge. And if Jesus could have been sleeping through a storm, it might not have been quite as big as we thought or think, but truly to them it was a storm and they were worried. But the Lord wants us at times to apply that faith and just trust that he has it under control. We read in verse 25, And he said unto them, Where is your faith? The question tonight could be, Where is my faith? And where is your faith? I think another really good example of somebody who in the Bible had highs and had lows, but we see that he always had faith to trust in the Lord, and that was Daniel. Daniel, he proved to King Darius that he was capable to rule over all the presidents and the princes at that time, and that King Darius wanted him or had plans that he would rule his entire kingdom. Verse 3, it even mentions that he had an excellent spirit. It said that Daniel had, another way you could say this, that Daniel had great abilities. But we see here that the other administrators tried to find fault in Daniel. But they could not find any fault in Daniel in how he did his government tasks. You know, we too want to have that type of spirit upon us that those around us can't find any fault in us. We know that the only fault they could find in Daniel was he prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem, thanking God. The only fault that he had that he prayed. You know, we too want to have the only fault. That would be a good fault, I think. If the only fault that man could find is that we prayed. So we know at this point that the evil government officials, they approached King Darius and they recommended a new law that the people people in that kingdom could only pray to the king for the next 30 days. If they broke this law, they would throw into a den of lions. When Daniel heard about this law, he did as he always did. He went home, he knelt down, and he prayed for God to help him. He had faith that God would protect him. Because Daniel had broken this law, he knew that King Darius had no choice but to cast him into the den of lions. Verse 16, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, will deliver thee. 
I think it's amazing that even King Darius knew the faith of Daniel. We know that God protected Daniel. We know that God shut the mouths of those lions. It said that Daniel wasn't even injured. He wasn't even hurt. There wasn't even a single scratch on him. Daniel gives us an example of the right thing to do in times of distress. He went, he prayed, and the Lord delivered him. We know at this point the king ordered the other men who accused Daniel. It says also along with their wives and their children. And they were cast into that den of lions. And we know that they were torn apart. Because of those men's sin, it just didn't affect them. Their sin also affected their wives and their children. When we sin, it affects those around us. We also see in verse 28, we find out that Daniel prospered during the, during the reign of Darius. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord. Daniel gave thanks despite the risk. He showed gratitude towards God even when things weren't going his way. You know, not everything in life will always go our way. But even if things are not going our way, we need to remember to give God the praise and have gratitude for him. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. You know, when we're going through a trial... Or maybe we're going through the valley. This verse can be very difficult. But this is a promise. That all things work together for good. For those who trust in the Lord. Recently, I, my family, we, we had an opportunity to uh, visit the UK. And um, through that, we went to uh, Oxford. One of the things that we we did in Oxford is we uh, went to the Bodleian Library. This is one of the oldest libraries in Europe. And at that library, we also we did a tour, and it taught us a lot about the history of books. In Ephesians 6.17, it also lets us know that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we know that as a Christian, the best weapon we have is the Bible. A little background on books I thought was interesting that we learn. Early books were uh, written, the covers were made of wood, and they would have been leather-bound, which would have made the, them very big and heavy. The books in this library were very old. Nobody actually could even take these books home. 
They were very large. They were very big. You could even tell that the wood shelves were bowing because of the weight of the books. Most of the books in that library was written in Latin or very old English. I realize pre the printing press, only the most wealthiest people would have ever owned a book. Most of the world never, or most people never pre-printing press would have even owned a book. This Bodleine library that we went to was actually started with only 300 donated books. These books were so valuable to that school and the school that it was that they donated to was the, the school of divinity. They literally built a library above the school just to store 300 books. You probably couldn't start a school today with 300 books. Uh, before the printing press, it would have taken a scribe 15 months to hand copy the Bible. And at, the, at that point, the Bible would have been written in Latin. The printing press, which came around in the 15th century, this drove people to translate the Bible into other languages. The pioneers of those days was determined that the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith and it should be available to everyone. Pre, before the Reformation, most Christians would have read the Bible either in Greek or they would have had to read it in Latin. This kind of set me down a path where I ended up finding another book and reading more on it. The translation of the Bible, I didn't realize this, but translation of the Bible had been around for a long time. In the 3rd century B.C., the Jews, or some of the Jews at this time, could no longer read Hebrew. So they actually translated the Bible into Greek. So for the Jews who could not read Hebrew, could read the Bible. The Latin translation was made in the 5th century. It wasn't until the 16th century the Bible began to be translated in many other languages. I'm thankful that we have the translation that we can read the Bible today. One of the first people that translated the Bible into English, his name was William Tyndale. He printed the First Testament in English. He was actually executed for his work. Then in, the 16, in 1604, the Puritan party petitioned King James I of England and James VI of Scotland to commission a new translation which they wanted to uh, improve on. One of the English translations was the Bishop's Bible. Another one was the Geneva Bible. And these were very early translations, but these translations were considered to be rushed. So it, in the 1604, a group of six companies based in Westminster, Oxford and Cambridge, they were allowed the time to, to improve their knowledge of Hebrew 
Aramaic, and Greek. This included some of the best scholars in those days. And it took almost six years to create what we call the King James Bible that we read today. The King James Bible itself has been one of the most popular English Bibles. It has lasted over 400 years. Only in the early days, it had an occasional light revision. You know, I am thankful for God's word. I'm thankful that we, we have the opportunity to own a Bible, to read a Bible, and to allow that spirit, his Holy Spirit, to speak to us. You know, the word of God, it comforts us. His word protects us. God's word is also an encouraging for us. And I'm thankful for God's word that can direct us closer to him. In Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of a soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and it is a discerning of the thoughts and intents of our heart. I'm thankful that we have that sword. I'm thankful for the word of God. One other little side note that I I found interesting in uh, Oxford. This really has nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I, I did realize there is no such thing as an Oxford University. There are many universities in Oxford. So when you ask, you see somebody wearing a Oxford University sweatshirt around, I'm not really sure what college they went to. But as I went to, uh, we uh, had a chance to tour uh, Christ Church, which was in Oxford. It is one of the most pre- prestigious colleges there. It's one of the oldest there. It's actually one of the colleges that John Wesley attended. And as I was walking along, I saw a tile and I saw an engraving and the name of John Wesley was written on there. And I looked down and, and on that I saw it was engraved and it said in there, John Wesley, 1703 to 1791, student of Christ, leader of the Methodist revival. It also had his brother's name, Charles Wesley, on there was also mentioned. You know, I am thankful, even for John Wesley, I'm thankful for sanctification. I'm thankful that he taught real sanctification. You know, storms in our lives are vital. God uses difficult times to to reveal himself to us that we could draw closer to him. You know, it is easy to be grateful or to be thankful when things are going our way. But when storms come, the Lord wants us to be and have a real attitude and a good attitude and believe that the Lord has it in his hands. One last little part here. I I just want to read in Philippians 4. Verses 11 through 13. This is when uh, Paul was in prison. He's here uh, 
really teaching us what we must do to be content in every situation. It reads, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in soever state I am wherewith to be content. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me. You know, we, we must learn to be content, whatever situation we are in. Paul here is advising us that the secret of being content is through Christ Jesus. True contentment only comes through Christ. You know, sometimes we have a lot and sometimes we may have very little. But I'm thankful that through difficult times that we can lean upon the strength of Christ. You know, tonight we have that opportunity. We have an opportunity tonight, like always at the end of a service, we can lean upon the strength of Christ. Let's take advantage of the service tonight. The altars are open. Uh, The song is 578.